Hello everyone, I'm Troy Dodds and welcome to the On The Record podcast presented by the Western Weekender. On this podcast I'm joined by special guests who all have such great stories to tell about Penrith and the role they've played in our city. Today my special guest is Greg Alexander, a name synonymous with rugby league in our city. Brandy captained Penrith to its first premiership in 1991 and post-retirement has enjoyed a successful media career. Greg, thanks for joining us. Troy, good to chat. Well, Brandy, the uh, the question we always ask to kick off the podcast, where were you born and where did you grow up? Oh, yeah. Gee, we um, we moved around a fair bit. Um, I did. We came to Penrith a, a, originally from Westmead. So I was, I was born in Sydney, but actually started school in Westmead. My parents, both parents grew up in Westmead, so both my... Um, both sets of grandparents lived in Westmead, only only a few k's from each other, and uh, and I started school in in Westmead, and then we moved out to Penrith uh, for me to um, start first class out there. And originally we moved on to Five Acres at Cranebrook and stayed there for some time until I was about ten, and that was a that was a, a good period of my life because we moved next to next door to my mum's sister Yulaley and. She had six boys and we had five kids and we both had five-acre property. So uh, that period between first moving to Penrith on the five acres and, and then shifting into town into Penrith uh, was a great period. Uh, six boys, five of us. It was it was fantastic and enjoyed that part of my life, looking back on it now. Uh, and then we moved right into town. We actually lived in Woodruff Street right, uh, okay. on the corner of um, yeah Woodruff and... Oh, I can't Tyndale, so yep, we were yep. right in town, right, right in, right in Penrith, and then we moved a number of times. I, I think I lived in uh, about eight different houses over the years, um, from Redden Avenue um, to uh, Emu Plains. Spent a couple of years in Emu Plains, and then we we moved out to uh, to Cranebrook. That was a new area um, out to Cranebrook, so we moved out there. And then when I started, I was actually playing first grade when we were living out at Cranebrook. And then we moved into South Penrith uh, to Neville, uh, to uh, just off York Road there. And, and I bought a house for the whole family to move into. Um, and that's, uh, that's, where we, that's where we lived for a long time as, you know, as teenagers and, and into my playing career. And then, uh, then I moved out to Glenmore Park when it was just dirt. I'm, I, was, I reckon I was one of the first houses out at Glenmore Park um, back in 91 and um, yeah so so lived just about everywhere in Penrith. Uh, we've spoken to a few people on this series um, about that sort of uh, 80s 90s period that was a, a period where Penrith kind of really grew up didn't it from from being that kind of country town to it was emerging to become a much bigger city. Yeah look I, and I, I can't remember the early days the 70s I, I, I you know I I've got you know sort of brief recollection of, of what it's like and and but not not a not a good memory of exactly what Penrith was like. But yes, it did. I sort of go through those stages, obviously from from being exactly what it was to uh, you know the freeways changing things. I remember you know we used to originally we we'd be driving down the Great Western Highway to go and visit uh, our nans and pop who still lived in Westmead. They all stayed in Westmead, so we'd we'd jump jump in the car and head down the the Great Western Highway and then the M, the freeway, as it was called back then, opened up and that used to get you to Blacktown and then things changed. Yeah, it's, it's you know, Penrith, as if you had a, 
a pictorial sort of history of Penrith over the over that period between the seventies and the nineties, the extraordinary change that it's gone through. And then, um, you know, I'd, I've noticed change again, sort of lately because I moved out of Penrith, and then you know, so at, for some periods, didn't go around the different areas of Penrith to see how they have changed. And you know, the area. Um, sort of the area along the Northern Road, between the Northern Road and Campbelltown, the extraordinary change sort of recently that that's had. But it's a, it's a, it's a growing city, that's for sure. Absolutely. Um, when does Rugby League first come into your life? As either, you know, is it when you start playing junior footy or uh, as a fan? Like, when does Rugby League, your earliest Rugby League memory uh, as a kid? Uh, my earliest Rugby League memory is, is starting school at St Nicholas uh, in High Street there and and starting to play footy in the playground. Um, that That's probably my earliest memory of it. And then playing for St. Nicholas. And I remember I was, I had a couple of years in the under sevens. And I think we had sixes back in those, those days. Um, and I think, you know, in Penrith now they've, they've got under five. So, but I remember playing uh, a couple of years in, in the under sevens and playing with the boys that were older than me and, um, you know, they were a year above me and, you know, still chat to some of those boys um, that, w- that played for St Nicholas back in those days. And, uh, yeah, that that school team, of course, uh, you know, St Nicholas was a club as well, you know, as well as a school. We, we played weekend footy for St Nicholas, um, which, is, which is amazing when you think about it. And there would have been so many instances of that. Um, but that's sort of my first recollection of, of footy and, and my dad giving me a footy uh, when I was about four. You know, I remember him giving me this leather footy and I just thought it was the best thing ever. Um, and I, I guess early days too, I, I, I you know, I think my, my, my first memory of, of big footy, big time footy was, was the Dragons um, because the Dragons were, were such a big team, mm. um, you know, in the, Late sixties, uh, you know, I, I certainly remember things about the Dragons back in those early days. Do you remember your first visit to Penrith Park? Oh yeah, I I don't remember my first visit, um, and it and it took me until I don't think I went to Penrith Park until I was about twelve, um, and I I remember just going with mates, and we sort of we'd man the um, we, we'd go and. Right on the, right on the tunnel there, where it used to be a concourse, and there was, there was all the, the, the steel fencing around mm. that concourse area. Uh, we used to sit on top of the, the fencing, the, the steel bars there, as and be close to the players as they'd run out the tunnel. Um, but I, I, I don't exactly remember my first visit to Penrith Park, as it was called back then. No. Now, now you're still a teenager when you make your uh, your first grade debut in uh, in 1984, and and you win Rookie of the Year, and then you win the Dally M Medal the next year. This was pretty easy in the in the, in, in the mid 80s. It was a a pretty amazing start. Was it was it? How did it feel? Was it surreal? Did you um you know did you feel that that geez this is this is easy or um or, yeah what was the feeling around that um that pretty incredible start where you were getting a lot of attention too? Yeah, I guess that made it surreal. Um, you know, even though I, I wasn't sort of, uh, you know, I, I got a, fit, a bit of attention through schoolboy footy and 
So it wasn't, I, I wasn't hit between the eyes uh, with that attention, but certainly, you know, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would start, you know, playing first grade and, and make a mark as early as I did. You know, you look at, you look up to these players and you, and, and they're like, you know, like they're, they're like gods, you know, and, and all of a sudden you're playing against them. Um, I think it's a little bit different these days, like, the progression and the saturation of footy isn't like it, you know, it, it's so much that I think, I don't know, I think young players these days um, tread that path a little bit more confidently, whereas I, I know I thought, oh, my God, I'm, you know, I'm playing first grade and it was such a nerve-wracking moment, um, you know, to, but to have the seasons that I did in the first couple of years, it, yeah, that surreal's a good word to, to sum it up. It, it, it was like a, it was like going through a, a dream period where you you wondered if it was really happening. And I imagine also surreal is the fact that um, it's pretty early in your career that you, you start going on kangaroo tours. So uh, all of a sudden, the um, the kid from uh, Penrith is, is off to uh, all sorts of places around the world. That must have been a pretty daunting experience as well, I can imagine, and and help you grow up. I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. Not daunting. No, it was it was so exciting to make it because kangaroo tours were, I thought, the pinnacle. You know, like I guess playing a test, you know, in Australia, being picked in that one to fifteen or whatever it was, how many um, reserves we had in those days, um, you know, was was probably a bigger mark. But in terms of rugby league experience, you know, the experience to be gained going away with players that you played against, that you didn't really know that well. I, I, I was, it, yeah, no, it was more excitement than, and I thought, wow, this is like, you know, what a, what a first three years I, I had playing the game. And I, I suppose I was a little bit fortunate to get on that 86 kangaroo tour. Uh, I wasn't picked originally. Uh, and then Eric Groth was ruled out and I, I jumped, jumped on the, jumped on the plane with the boys only after Tim Sheen's phoned me because, you know, remember 86, there was no mobile phones in those yeah. days. And I was getting ready to fly to Hawaii with the rest of the Penrith team for our trip away. So I had a bag packed ready for summer and Tim, Tim Sheen's rang and uh, fortunately got me at my house. Like, I don't know how he timed <laughs> it so well, but, and, and that was the thing in the day. God, if you miss someone, you, you mightn't, you, you mightn't be able to get back to them. But I was actually home and, um, and um, I answered the phone and it was Tim and Tim said, mate, you better change your, the gear that you've packed. You need your winter gear because you're off to England. And that was, uh, that was a very exciting moment. And of course, uh, as the 80s progressed, Penrith become uh, a force in the competition, particularly in 89 and then in uh, in 1990, of course, uh, Penrith made the grand final. Now, we've all heard a million stories about the 1990 grand final and about how the, the preparation probably wasn't as it should have been, that the the party was um, was pretty much had in Penrith before uh, before a ball was kicked. Is, is that how you remember it as well? That it, in retrospect, um, there was just too much excitement about getting there um, to worry about winning it. Yeah, I think so. Look, Troy, and it was the, it was the same in nineteen eighty five when we first made the, the finals when we had to play Manly in a in a Wednesday night playoff for fifth spot, um, and we won that. And I remember running off the field, and we were people were handing us bottles of champagne and, and it was a Wednesday night before we had to play para in a, in a semi-final on the, on the Saturday. 
So I, I think there was almost a feeling of the same ilk where, okay, we've made the finals, we've, we've done it. And I think that was sort of the feeling in 1990. And, you know, it, it shouldn't have been, but, but in, you know, in hindsight, maybe it was. Wow, we've, we've finally made a grand final. Because uh, the year before, in 89, we went uh, loss-loss. We went out backwards. Um, and after having a very good year, regular season year, uh, where we finished up the top, I think South finished first. We might have finished second in 89, but we we bowed out with uh, consecutive losses to the Tigers and, and, and the Raiders. Uh, and, yeah, maybe that was a little bit of the case. We, we had a grand final parade before the grand final. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we probably didn't handle things as we should, but... Fortunately, we you know we got a chance to have another go at it. Yeah, and a much more professional Penrith comes back the next year, of course, in a in an all new jersey as well in the in the black jersey that we now know the the Panthers as. I know that there's been a lot of you know a lot of stories about the '91 Grand Final. What what I'm interested in is these days we would look at a player, um, look at a Jonathan Thurston. If he hadn't won the the Grand Final in 2015, there might be an asterisk next to his his legacy. Was that mm. was that the feeling back then when when rugby league still isn't as you know the the full time professional sport that it is that. Yeah. that you felt six years into your career at that point, you need to win this premiership, that's going to cement a, a bit of a legacy? Or is it just not something you th- you thought about as much then as we do now with the, as you mentioned earlier, the oversaturation of um, of commentary and colour in the game? Yeah. No, I, no there was absolutely no thought of uh, individual you know, accomplishment about winning the grand final. I, I was thinking... Mate, I was just thinking of the team situation. Um, you know, and the fact that we had lost one... Um, you know, and there was that was a that was a line used back then too. You got to lose one to win one, um, and I and I certainly used that last year as well with our boys coming into the grand final. But uh, you know, we'd actually lost two preseason grand finals. You know, people forget that we used to play a preseason competition, mm. and we lost those two years. We lost ninety. I think Brisbane beat us in ninety. Canberra might have beat us beat us in ninety one. So we. You know, in the space of eighteen months, we'd we'd lost three grand finals. Um, so I, I think it was all all of us realizing that um, you know we probably wasted a chance in nineteen ninety, and these chances don't come along that often. As you said, I'd been playing for uh, I don't yeah seven or eight years by the time we hit ninety one, um, and uh, it was it was. We need to win this because we mightn't get another chance, and and it was. But it was all about the team and the club. Not, I I didn't have one thought of what my personal record would have looked like if I didn't win a grand final. I was, I was just thinking about, you know, now's now's the time. We've lost one. This is serious. We we need to be at our best, and we need to win because we we mightn't get another throw. Whenever I look back and watch that 1991 Grand Final, particularly watch it in full, I almost think, geez, I don't know if we're going to win this because <laughs> Can- <laughs> Canberra were, were very much on top and, and there's there's periods in that game where you think, well, this isn't going away. Do you, do you remember it all? I mean, I know it goes quick, but in the yeah. game thinking, gee, we're in some trouble here? Um, yes, yes. I, I, you know, even though we scored the first try, there's no doubt that they were on top at half time. And uh, uh, apart from a couple of, you know, defensively desperate situations. They could have been more than 12-6 in front quite easily, Troy. Um, so at half-time, 
there was a concern, and we weren't. We didn't walk into the sheds at half time with our heads up and you know thinking we're you know this is our game. This is. It took a you know a, it took Royce and and Gus. You know, Royce got up and made a, a very uh, impassioned speech about what we needed to do, and um, you know Gus had his say. And you know we went out, and I thought the second half we we barely let them into our half. So I thought we were very dominant in the second half, but still it took time to crack them. You know, defensively though, they came up with some incredible plays to stop us scoring tries because we had all the field position, um, and we just kept piling the pressure on. And in the end, that you know it, it took its toll on the Canberra defence. But boy, it. it took some time and you're right you know there, there would have been moments in that game where I'm sure it flashed through plenty of our minds that um, you know hopefully we can get it done but it's 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 going to take patience and and continually battering their line to to get out to get us in front of course you win the grand final 1912 is it the biggest and longest party you've ever attended mm, yeah it is yeah <laughs> yeah no it was it was it was a uh, and, and, you know, often I've spoken about this. It was more relief than, um, you know, now it's time to party. It was just a weight off our shoulders. I, you know, that's because of the build-up and because of what we're facing, because of our previous record, um, because we'd never done it before. And uh, some, some, Sometimes those things get into your subconscious, that the fact that you haven't done it before. And, and sometimes you question, are we good enough to do it? You know, or do we deserve to do it? You know, do we deserve to be the premiers? And not that they stay in your mind for that long, but you know, they might you know, sort of just be in the back of your subconscious. Um, so when you do do it, when when that when I kicked the goal, when we were seven in front with three to go, I knew we'd won it, and it was it was relief. It really was. Um, but it was you know, it was a good time for the club. Now, obviously tragedy hits in in 1992 in in june when you lose your brother ben in a car accident and i know that you've talked a lot about it over the years and a lot of people have said a lot about it over the years the the one thing i'm interested in is how you and your family dealt with the grief given that his passing was hit the community hard as well as probably i would say the most attended um funeral service that penrith's probably ever seen so you had to share your grief uh, with the city, was was that a difficult part of that period? Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, that, that I, I think that made it difficult. But then uh, it also was heartening, um, you know, to know, you know, because when when you lose someone close to you, what you you want their name to stay important. And I think not just in your family's life, but because you're leading a public life, um, the support from uh, you know, the community of Penrith was made it yeah, a little bit easier too. So there was there was both sides to it, Troy. It was you know it made it difficult, um, and but it also was was heartening the support and the the outpouring of love for Ben. Um, that yeah that that made it different. That's all. It made it different, and um, I, I won't say better, but. Um, it was certainly heartening, and then when you look back on it, it, it's easy to see the, you know, the positives of that. But um, yeah, it 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 was a 
difficult time, that's for sure. I guess in, in that respect then about um, you know wanting Ben's name to, to make sure it stays in our, our memories, you must be really happy that the club continues to call its Rookie of the Year award after Ben as well. Yes, and I, I present that award every year. So, and that's, uh, yeah, it's always a highlight of mine, um, you know, to present that award and to know that uh, Ben's name lives on uh, within the club and with, you know, with getting to play with Ben was certainly special. And, you know, the fact that the club were able to do that, um, you know, I was, the, the family were, were so grateful for that happening. And, yeah, I, you know, that's certainly the highlight of every presentation year. I, I get to present that award and um, it does keep na- uh, Ben's name uh, known around the club. And I, I, you know, will often, I don't do it every year, I'll, I'll just do a little you know, I'll just tell a little story about Ben before I hand the award out. Just so the young players that come into the club, you know, know a little bit about Ben and know uh, what the game, you know, what the, the game and the club meant to him, and um, just what a what a good player he was. You know, it's it's he, he was a he was a very good footballer, and you know, would have played I, I think into his thirties, and he would have been someone that we would have spoken about playing, you know, a couple of hundred games for Penrith. So. He started playing so young, um, so yeah, that yeah that is nice that the award is the Ben Alexander Rookie of the Year. And that period obviously changes for you and for the club and for for so many people. I'm guessing the next few years was something of a blur. I know you, you end up leaving Penrith at the end of 1994, but of course you played you know for the club through through 93, the back end of 92 and then 94. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously a, a difficult period because um, you know as I said everything had changed. The whole the whole road of where things were going changed completely. Yeah, I, I think you know football had been like just my only thing in life, and um, <clears throat> during that period, football. Um, lost its priority, and and it's such a hard game to play when it's not when you don't wake up every morning wanting to train, wanting to play. Uh, so it was a, it was a battle, and you know that that's the reason I left Penrith. I, I, I didn't leave Penrith for, for any other reason than to just change life a bit, and and hopefully, you know, rediscover um, you know some of the things that you know, life had changed for me. And, and obviously the priority uh, there was football. So uh, Tanya and I moved to New Zealand and uh, it, it was a, uh, it was prob- probably the best thing I could do. I just thought, well, where, where can I start afresh? Where can I get right away from what I've been going through over the last three or four years? And it, it's not, it, it had nothing to do with anyone but me. Like, mm. but how I was feeling and um, yeah the two years in Auckland were, were terrific and then to get a chance to come back to Penrith that's something that I never thought I'd do um, and it was certainly the best thing that I could do. And that was in the uh, the Super League period of course so the 1997 season is when you come back um, and this is when money is being thrown around everywhere was that the case for you as well it was suddenly rugby league players seeing you know paychecks that they never seen before were you in that boat? Um uh, yes, yes, and no. Yeah, like yes, I was. I, I was. A, we, we seemed to be the forgotten ones over in New Zealand when it came to the money being thrown about. But you know, I was, I was, I was just happy that I get back to Penrith because that's I was coming back to Penrith anyway. So 
to get back to Penrith, um, and, and I remember Royce rang me, he said, you know, Royce was the coach at the time, and he said, mate, what are you, you going to do? And I said, look, I've got another year here at the Warriors. So I'd signed, re-signed, for, extended for another year at the Warriors to make it three years there. Uh, but when Royce rang me and he said, mate, what, he, you know, he said, I want you to come back and play halfback. I said, I'm, I'm in. So I, I went to the Warriors and I said, look, I've got an opportunity now. I was going back, back to Penrith at the end of the three years. Um, do you mind if I go back at the end of two years? And they said, no, not, not at all. So to go back and play Penrith, uh, for another three years was just something that I wasn't considering when I, when I first left, but it was, uh, such a good thing to, to do. And your last game at Penrith is in nineteen ninety nine against Canberra, I think. Um, mm. Ironically, yep. given the, given the uh, the nineteen ninety one result, I know that your your actual last game was uh, was against the Sharks the, the week later. But really, it was the it was the game at home that was the farewell. It was a, it was a big day. I think there was t shirts printed. There was uh, there was all sorts of stuff happening and uh, mm. a fond farewell that must have you know bookended your time at Penrith for you really well. Yeah, it did. It, that, that was a great day. In the fact, and the day wouldn't have been the same unless we won. We had to win. Troy, we had to we had to beat Canberra, and we did that. Uh, and I got to celebrate with the the team, the current team, and you know, do a lap around the oval, and um, you know, was just blown away by the support of, of the fans that day, and you know, family there. It was um, yeah, it was a special moment. You you don't you know you have those special little moments that that are sort of sprinkled throughout your career, and that was that was certainly one of them. That was that was a that was a good day. But then I did line up against the Sharks the next week and we got smashed. So <laughs> it doesn't matter, but because that, that day, the home, the home game at Penrith Park was, was really the, the, final, yeah, the final one. So it was, it was a good way to finish. And so begins then a new chapter in rugby league for you, which of course um, is in the media. Now, um, I don't know about yourself, but I, I think that most people wouldn't have predicted a media career for you. But um, but but where did that come about? How did it come about? And and was it something that you were chasing? Uh, no, I wasn't chasing it. And I, I, I remember I I texted a couple of people that were close to the game and were well respected, and um, might have had a phone call with one or two as well. You know, sort of just sounding them out, and I sort of raised the media, even though I, I wasn't. I wasn't really thinking about it. I'd um, I'd bought a concrete truck off uh, Western Suburbs Concrete Mini Creek little little mini truck there uh, the year I retired, and I thought, well, that might be a good thing to do. Um, drive the truck, um, maybe do a little bit of coaching with the Panthers, um, and then two uh, we did an outside broadcast at Panthers uh, late in the year in in nineteen ninety nine. So the year I retired. Um, and the concrete truck was ready to go and um, uh, my wife said why don't you go down and see that nice man John Brennan who used to call you Commonwealth Bank Cup Games and see if you can just sound him out and see what he says so reluctantly I went down to the club um, and I think Tan had to push me out of the car and say go go, <laughs> go and ask him see if there's a job going anyway I went into the club and I spoke to John and John said, "Yeah, absolutely, Greg. Um, you know, we'll uh, we'll get you working with Ray Hadley on the continuous call team." He said, "You know, we'll get you into the semi-final." So, you know, I I, I did some work with uh, with Ray in the continuous call team that year in '99, and then uh, started working 
the following year. So it sort of started there, Troy. And, uh, you know, by two thousand, I think two thousand and one, I started with Fox, and um, yeah, that's that's it. I was at Two UE for a long time. Yeah, and there's an interesting about- period there about Two UE as well, of course, because the. Two UE lose the rights, I think, in two thousand and three, and and you had a pretty big decision to make uh, because uh, there was obviously a few jumping ship over to Two GB. Uh, well, prior to to Ray and the crew going over there, um, when yep. they lost the rights, you you what was your call around that period? And um, yeah, there was some, well, well, some very was much some to and fro in sports radio at that time. Yeah, it was, and I, I think it was two thousand and one, two thousand. Mate, I'd only we did the continuous call team for two years. For two years, so maybe it was two thousand, two thousand and one. At the end of one, they decided to uh, GB got the rights. UE missed out. Um, continued to miss out because they didn't have them in. When I got there, we two UE weren't calling games uh, in two thousand. In two thousand and one, we were just doing the show. No one was at the grounds. Um, and then they did make the move, and I think John Singleton got Ray across there, and he took the whole team, and, and I was going, and then 2UE said, look, we've got the sports show here. Um, do you want to do the sports show, which is nightly? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. So I stayed at 2UE and um, continued to do that sports show, did a little bit of weekend work, um, then Fox, um, then I was doing some Fox work, um, and... Yeah, I stayed at TUE for about 12 or 13 years and continued to do the sports show with, uh, with Pete Bosley and uh, Johnny Gibbs and Andrew Voss. And, um, yeah, then, then footy started getting... Fox was getting busy, and there was a couple of seasons where it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Yes. Um, so I sort of I gave up the radio and just focused on, on Fox Sports for... Quite some time because you, you and you and Warren Smith essentially become the uh, the voice of Monday Night Football there for a, for a long period of time. We did, I th- you know, and I think Monday Night Footy went for ten years, and um, yeah, I, I was I was on it for the for the ten years. Whether I think I was hosting early days, and then uh, went out to call with Was, and yeah, did it for and, and Laurie did it for ten years. <clears throat> Now, of course, you're still on uh, on Fox League now. Um, who, of course, you know cover cover every game every weekend. So it's very much a 24 hour rugby league channel. I'm interested, though, for you. Like you, obviously, um, you know, you offer an experienced voice to that team. But every year, more players retire and more players are chasing media careers. Is it a mm-hmm. you know? Is it do you often look over your shoulder and go, "Gee, he's pretty good. I, I might be in trouble here at some point." You do every now and then. There's no doubt about that. Um... But then, then the older you get, you think, well, you know, they do, they do need an old bloke around mm. sometimes, don't they? So uh, you're right, but it's it's a uh, I've been blessed, you know, to be doing that for for as long as I have, and I, you know, I I'd love to continue doing it for you know for as long as I can, or for as long as um, you know Fox want me. But um, yeah, there's some there's some good young talent coming through. That's that's for sure. And every year, you're right. Every year, players retire and great players retire and um, you know, whether if they're not getting into coaching or or that part of the game, you know, they want to get into the media. So it, um, yeah, it's a competitive little business. Do you, you obviously in, in, at Fox because they cover so many games? You you often work with so many different uh, lead commentators. Obviously, you've worked a lot with uh, with Warren Smith over the years. But is there a a favourite commentator or a a commentator you go, hey, I'm I'm going to have a lot of fun today because this, this is the guy I'm paired with. Troy, this is a loaded question. Um, yeah, they're all very good, you know. And I, you're right. I've I've done a lot of 
a lot of games with Warren. As you said, we, we were together, you know, every Monday night and then probably together um, for, for other games. But now that we do have eight games, and we've had that for some time now, we're, where we're covering, you know, every game, every round, that uh, you get to work with all of them. And, and you know, they're all they're all very good to work. Uh, Bossy, Waza, uh, Warren's, you know, good. Dan Ganane's good. Um, they're, all, they're all very good callers. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't have a favourite. I think it's like, you know, other than the team you support, um, you know, there's not a favourite there. They're, they're all equal. But, and, of course, you've... One of those commentators you're working with even more now, and that is Andrew Voss. You, you, you've taken up Breakfast Radio. How's, how's, how's that going? It's a, it's it's a punish, but uh, yeah. in terms of yeah. that alarm clock going off every day, but um, but a new venture there for you back into radio. Yeah, well, you know what it's like getting up early and and and, and doing radio, and yeah, it's good, it's exciting. I I, I enjoy being back on radio. Um, and you're right, Vossy and I will call. Uh, we'll probably you know. For the first round, we called two games together, so we, we can't get away from each other. So it's three hours every morning, and then uh, doing games together on the weekend. But um, yeah, it's it's enjoyable. It's good fun radio. It's like it's completely different to telly. Um, the interaction with listeners and text messages and callers. What I hadn't noticed about radio is it's got more brutal. There's no doubt. You know, twelve, ten, twelve years ago. Text messages were generally quite nice. Now, now it's just everywhere. It's open slather. It's everyone's fair game. Someone says something that others aren't happy with. Well, boy, don't don't they let them know it? And uh, and of course, so that's it, probably a result of the other uh, social media generation. I, I don't think I've spotted you on uh, on Twitter, so you, you keep away from that stuff. Yeah, I just I just haven't been into it. I I, I think early days it just. You know, and I, I, I guess social media has changed over the years. And, um, you know, I think early days with people letting you know what they were eating for breakfast and uh, <laughs> I, I just sort of didn't, never grab me early. And people were saying, look, it's a fantastic um, uh, vehicle for information. And I sort of thought, well, yeah, it might be, but to crawl through everything that comes around a good bit of information, I... I I just thought I, I haven't got time to do it, um, and it's distracting. And yeah, I, the way it's going now, gee, um, good luck, good luck on social media. One one thing that you um, you have continued as well, uh, despite the time constraints, is remaining a director at Panthers. Um, yep. What what's the primary reason that you're keen to keep doing that? We just had a board election that you again went for a, another couple of years. Is it is it to remain connected to the the club and the city? Uh, what, what what's the main purpose? I just love being part of the club. I have forever. You know, I've been, I've, I've done so many things at the club and, and continue to do so many things at the club. It's not, you know, it's, um, I remember when I was first asked to run for the board and I thought, wow, that, that's a, that's a, that's a good thing to do. Um, and, and I'm certainly appreciated, you know, the opportunity to run. Um, and, uh, yeah, I honestly couldn't imagine life without it. Troy, you know, I've, it's been part of my life since I was ten. I, I played for Penrith. We had done, we had representative teams back back in those days, uh, as far down as ten year olds. So, you know, I pulled a Penrith jersey on at ten. Um, I'm fifty six now, and there's only two years where I have not been part of the club, and mm. that, they were the two years that I went to New Zealand. So, 
whether it's a player, a board member, um, working with the players, the halves, the kicking, uh, whether it's with sponsorship, uh, marketing, uh, you know, now we've got a recruitment team, a recruitment and retention team, which I'm part of. Um, you know, I host our events now. I, I host our, our, our big events. Um, you know, it's just something that I enjoy. It's just part of my life, and I could never imagine Penrith not being part of my life. And what about family? Uh, what are the uh, the younger Alexander boys up to in terms of uh, rugby league? Um, well, they all play at different... My, my oldest boy, Liam, uh, is 22 now, and he played until he was about 15, and, and uh, now he's working with me at Fox. He's flying the drones. Um, oh, Fox. okay, wow. Yeah, and um, my 19-year-old boy, Braith, is in, he's played Harold Matthews and his G-ball for Penrith, and now he's in the Jersey Fleet team. Um, so it's great to have Braithy, um, you know, wearing the Penrith jumper. Then I've got two other boys, Bo and Ben. Bo's in year nine, Benny's in year eight, and they play they play league and rugby and touch footy and everything else. But yeah, they're all they're they're all league three league players still running around. And um, yeah, Liam did play, but is still involved in the game because he's at the games flying the drone. So you never know; we might see another Alexander in our first grade at Penrith one day. Absolutely. Absolutely, that that would be great. That'd be something. Greg, final question, uh, which is always the final question we ask: How would you like to be remembered in Penrith? Oh, gee, that's. I, I guess if I'm talking about just someone that um, you know loved the club um, as a player, just as a player, I think I'd, I'd like to to be remembered as someone who um, made it worthwhile going to the footy. Um, gave some enjoyment to, to plenty of people, um, you know. And I, I guess outside footy, you know, in the on the other side of it, my involvement, just someone that you know always makes the decisions uh, with the club, um, you know, in, in the club's best interests. Um, not a, I'm not driven by personal agendas. Um, you know, I always think about what is best for Panthers. Uh, when I sit down and make a decision, so I, I guess that's it, Troy. I'm, I'm not big on talking about myself, but that that would be that that'd make me happy. Well, Greg, we appreciate you uh, coming on and talking about yourself for uh, the last forty <laughs> minutes or so, and uh, thanks very much, and uh, and all the best for the future. Good on you, Troy. Appreciate it, mate. There he is, Greg Alexander. Hope you enjoyed our chat. A reminder that On The Record is released every Monday. Just search Western Weekender wherever you listen to podcasts and hit the subscribe button. We've had some great guests on the On The Record series this time around. Ian Taylor from 1FM, Kevin Cramery, the veteran Penrith City Councillor, Prue Carr, the Londonry MP, Andrew Paik from Westcare, Wayne Wilmington from Vintage FM and 188. So make sure you go back and listen to those episodes. On the Record is produced by the Western Weekender and recorded at the studios of My88. Check out westernweekender.com.au and we'll see you next time.